Right now, I am really excited to be able to introduce Daniel Goodman with us this morning. He is Zooming um, all the way from sunny, rainy Cambridge at the moment. I'm not really sure what the weather's doing right now, um, but we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. And we're really excited um, to hear what you're going to say to us today. So welcome, Daniel. Hello. I've got my wife here, Anna. We've both been enjoying the service. Absolutely superb. Um, great, great joy to be with you. It is, it is uh, a mixture of blue sky and clouds. I can see out the window um, and it looks like it's going to be a bit of a wet day. But uh, it's so fantastic. So, so fantastic to be with you. I have been uh, on gallery view looking through all the faces and people I know and feel like I'm amongst friends with you. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 12 today. Um, but before we do that, before we get into the nitty gritty of it, I just want to uh, ask a couple of questions of you, really. Every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. A beginning, a middle and an end. And uh, we are already living, so we're past our beginning and we're not yet dead, so we're not at the end, which means that we must be in the middle. If we're in the middle of our stories, here's the question. What information do you use to help you make decisions about how you live in the middle? What information do you use to help you make decisions? We all use information to help us make life decisions, don't we? I remember uh, years ago, actually, when Anna and I got married, um, we had a, a slightly awkward conversation before uh, we did the deal where I said, actually, I don't feel like I'm going to want children. And uh, it was a difficult conversation. At the time, Anna said the same. And so we got together, we got married, uh, probably feeling like we weren't ever going to have children. But in God's providence, that changed completely at some point, and suddenly we both wanted children. I remember talking to Toby Skipper up in Norwich about that. I said, I really want children. And he said, well, why aren't you getting on with it then? And I said, we don't have enough money. And he, <laughs> he shook his head and he said, if you wait till you've got enough money, you're never going to have children. That's not the right information to make this decision. If you want to have children, go for it. That's the right information. So that was really helpful. So I'm asking you, what information do you use to make decisions about how you live in the middle? The glory of the Bible is that it tells us what happens at the end. So actually, we can live now in the middle in light of the end. We can live in light of the end. And you see people like Paul the Apostle putting that into action when he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, because I know how the story ends. I know what comes next. So I want you to have that question in your mind as we read Revelation 12. I'm in the middle of my story. What information am I going to use to make decisions about how I live? I need to live now in light of the future. So hopefully you will know that the whole Bible 
is a unified story that points to Jesus. The whole thing is a unified story that points to Jesus. It prophesies about Jesus. It foreshadows Jesus. There are types of Jesus. For example, Jesus is the greater and true Joseph, who, though betrayed, stands at the right hand of the king, giving forgiveness. There are many ways in which Old Testament stories and New Testament stories point to Jesus. They find their climax in Jesus. The tension is resolved in Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus. And the more you understand one part of it, the more you understand all of it. So in the morning, I'm an early riser. I I tend to get up about five o'clock, six o'clock every day. Sometimes I get up at four o'clock. When I get up, I come downstairs to have my quiet time and the kitchen is pitch black. Only it's not because the clock on the cooker is giving just enough light for me to be able to walk my way across to the kitchen, across to the cooker and turn on the light that's on the hood. That second light throws a pool just down onto the cooker. It's not enough really to see the whole kitchen, but it's enough for me to see the next light which is over by the kitchen table. So by that time, I've got three lights on. Then there's a big light behind our mirror. And finally, when the sun's come up, I can open the window. Each time I turn on a new light, everything in the kitchen becomes clearer. When you understand one part of the Bible, everything becomes clearer. The more parts of the Bible you understand, the more everything becomes clearer clearer. So we're going to look at Revelation 12 and see if we can shed some light on it from other parts of the Bible to help us understand it. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from Revelation 12, remembering that this gives us information about how the story ends so that we can make decisions about how we live now. I'm reading from the NASB, so let me just read it to you. I'll read the first six verses. A great sign appeared in heaven. Then if you've read the Gospel of John, John also wrote Revelation probably, and uh, he loves signs, doesn't he? A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. So the first sign is a woman with a crown of 12 stars, clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, and she's pregnant. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, seven-headed with ten horns on his heads, and there were seven diadems, or seven crowns, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. This is meant to be repulsive language. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. 
We'll just pause there for a second. What are we to make of all of that? Goodness, a woman clothed in the sun and uh, with uh, 12 stars in a, in a crown on her head. Um, now, I want to make the point that it isn't so much that this imagery is crazy and, and impossible to understand. Actually, it's just become unfamiliar to us in our modern era. So hopefully Matt now is going to be able to show you an image from the British Museum, which shows a statue from the Assyrian Empire. Okay, hopefully on your screens, you can see these statues. What you'll notice about these statues is that they've got the body of a lion, the legs of an ox, the wings of an eagle, the head of a man, and I don't know if you can see, but on their hats, on their crowns, are these six horns. So these types of images are not unfamiliar to the first listeners of Revelation. If you want to see these Assyrian statues, you can go down to the British Museum and have a look for yourself. Okay, we can take that down now. Thanks so much, Matt. That's really helpful. So these images mean something, and they're not impossible to decipher. Uh, secondly, the Bible is an Eastern book, and we are Western listeners by and large, although I happen to have grown up in Africa, which is more Eastern in its mindset. In the East, numbers are symbolic. In the West, numbers are data. Now, that's a slight overgeneralization. But in the West, we think simply about numbers as being data points, whereas in the East, numbers have symbolic meaning. So, for example, take the story of uh, Jairus's daughter. She is a 12-year-old girl, and the woman with the issue of blood has had the issue of blood for 12 years. The point there is not that these numbers are significant in terms of exact periods of time, they are significant because the writer wants you to notice these two women and compare them. That two number 12s makes you notice them and compare them. And that's true throughout the Bible. You get 40 days in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, uh, 40 days of rain, uh, 40 days where Jesus is tempted. Uh, it's not credible that all of those things happen to be data points and that they were all exactly 40. It's symbolic. So these 12 stars that are on the woman's head, the 12 stars are symbolic of 12 disciples, 12 tribes, all God's people. So if we uh, look at Genesis 37, okay, Genesis 37 is Joseph's dream. Here it goes. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, because he's the one having the dream, the 11 stars bowed down to me. And when he said this to his father, his father said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and brothers indeed come and bow down to you? So his father understood this imagery as being about us, the family. So this woman... She represents the people of God. She's kind of like an Eve, kind of like a Mary, kind of like a bride, but essentially she's the people of God. 
And to her, a child is born through the incarnation. The child is Jesus. And set up against her is this dragon. Now, if we look again at Genesis chapter 3, we see this tension that's echoed from there. The woman said to God, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and all the way through Revelation 12, if we'd kept reading, this, this dragon is called a serpent. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity, that is hostility, between you and the woman. Okay, so and it talks about her, him devouring or seeking to devour her offspring. So these pits from other parts of the Bible help us to understand what's happening. She represents the people of God. Jesus is born to her. The dragon is hostile to her and hostile to her offspring and is seeking to devour the Christ. But he's caught up to heaven. He is protected. And uh, she is taken into the wilderness where she too is protected. There's another uh, number there um, which talks about, uh, you know, I can't actually... um, I've put the Bible away, but it's something like 1,275 days or something. And uh, later on in the same chapter, that's described as time, times, and half a time. And later on in chapter 13, it's called 42 weeks. Well, that number of days is 42 weeks, and 42 weeks is three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time, three and a half So that's all the same span of time, and it's a symbolic number, which means a period where there's a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of hostility, and it comes to an end. And that's the period that we live in. This passage, Revelation 12, acknowledges that there is hostility to God's people, but that Satan is defeated and will ultimately be destroyed. That is the point of Revelation 12. It acknowledges that there is hostility to the church, there is suffering, but Satan has been defeated and will ultimately be destroyed. That is the information we need to use to help us make decisions about how we live our life. Now, I hope that makes sense. And how uh, the, 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 um, the, the structure of Revelation 12 seems to be that after that initial few verses that I've read, it tells the story again. It's like a God's eye view of the whole of history. I've uh, been asking my fellow team, colleagues and friends here in Cambridge to pray for me this week. And one of the things I've said to them is, it's difficult because not only does, the, does Revelation 12 tell the whole history of humanity, but it actually tells it twice. And even in those six verses, it talks about the incarnation, Christ being raised up to heaven, Satan being thrown down. One of the things I do when I read my Bible is I look for repeated phrases. And the phrase that's repeated the most in Revelation 12 is that Satan has been thrown down. Jesus himself in Luke 10 said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Uh, Isaiah talks about it. He is defeated. 
he is defeated. But as is so often the case, when someone knows the end is near, they go into their fiercest fighting. You know, it's thought that the Battle of Berlin, when essentially the Second World War was over, the Battle for Berlin was one of the fiercest, cruelest battles that the soldiers had to go through. Uh, they were having to deploy men and women who hadn't been strong enough to be soldiers and even children to try and kill the Allies. It was really horrible. And it talks about Satan being fierce. He's pouring out fury because he knows his time is short. But we need to know he has been defeated and he will be destroyed. What that meant to the first readers is uh, expressed in chapter 11, which I think I've written down here. I've heard some people say that Revelation 12, verse 11, is the most important verse in the whole Bible. I don't, <laughs> don't think there's any reason to sort of think in those terms, but it's definitely a great, great reminder. They, the church, the martyrs, they overcame him, the, the dragon, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They did not love their life, even faced with death. And for this reason, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. So every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. We're in the middle, but we know the end. And so we can live now in light of that glorious victory that Jesus won for us. The way we overcome is through the blood of the Lamb. So celebrate the gospel in your life every day. Studying and reading the scriptures should lead to obedience and to worship. And rejoice in your testimony, your story. Rehearse your story. Share your story. Stick to your story. Don't be timid. Don't be cowed. Don't be marginalized. Proclaim the good news of Jesus because even though there is hostility, ultimately we will be victorious in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, help us to be people who love your word, who treasure it, who uh, take it into ourselves, who let it dwell in us richly. Help us be those who uh, proclaim your good news, who celebrate it. We don't want to commend to others what we don't treasure ourselves. Help us to rejoice in you, the child that was born and taken to heaven victorious. Thank you that Satan has been cast down. He's been thrown down and he will be destroyed, Father God. I pray for your gospel to bear fruit across the nations. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. That was so, so good to hear. Um, it didn't sound like an easy passage to go through. So thank you for breaking it down so well uh, for us. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, um, worship team for leading us through the meeting. See you all soon.